Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com, talking about USC's 30-27 to loss up on the Palouse uh, to Washington State. We're also going to have Joe Duffy uh, from Offshore Insiders talking about uh, USC and the point spread, not covering the spread against uh, Washington State. Actually, 1-4 this season against the spread. And a huge spread coming up against uh, Oregon State at home for next weekend. So that's going to be later on the show. We're going to talk to him. If you have any questions or comments, and man, you guys have sent it a lot, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email or our voicemail is 424-254-9141. Everyone's getting better. I think some of the questions are shorter. Still, if you're really long, you want to do something really long, go to our message boards, uscfootball.com. Uh, go to the Peristyle. Lots of people talking there. Lots of long messages. If you want to do that, we can't read these really long ones. So we'd appreciate you if you went over there and did that. So we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, uh, Audio Boom, all that kind of stuff. You can download us anywhere. Please leave us some positive feedback, a five-star rating. We do appreciate that. We are getting record numbers of downloads, record numbers of listens. Record numbers of questions, so we do appreciate all of the uh, people listening and tuning into our little show. This is our 10th football season covering the Trojans, and uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. My voice will try to hold out. We're doing so many. I just finished a two-hour podcast for the Podcast of Champions. Make sure you go check that out if you want the whole Pac-12. And now we're going to bring in Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, we survived. Uh, the team didn't exactly, but uh, and, and we almost, I, I guess, didn't uh, with the... Uh, uh, assault on the field. Uh, I think I, I, luckily I had been through one before in 2003 at Washington State and told everybody in the press box, all the LA people, I said, here's what's going to happen if this game ends the way we think it's going to end. And it ended the way we thought it was going to end. And it happened just the way it happened. The only difference in 2003, they let the, the marauding students run through the tunnel with the USC team trying to get off the field. This time, I will give them credit, they secured the tunnel. So only the USC people, uh, you know, got through the tunnel. Uh, but they had to get there first, and uh, it was tough. It was especially, you didn't have football equipment on, and you're walking crossways, and they're coming onto the field with a head of steam. Uh, that was really dangerous, uh, having been through like at Boston College, it happened, and you start to realize, you know, the kind of head of steam people get up when they jump out of the stands, you know, full go, and they're just trying to get to the middle of the field. They're running so, through, uh, yeah. So it was a, it was an interesting challenge. Uh, USC didn't, you know, live up to it. Washington State did. I'm really impressed with what they're doing. What you know, job that we we didn't know going into that game. They'd had four home games and not a real challenging schedule. I saw somebody said that it was the 113th toughest schedule in the country or something, something like that. But uh, they were the real deal, uh, and give them all the credit in the world. That was a very good job by them. They played hard. They played smart. They played as tough as you can when you got a, a defensive tackle who's 252 pounds uh, and, and 
you can't block him. I mean, they give him all the credit in the world. I, I would say Washington State is the most overperforming uh, program in the country. I think they they do a better job with what they have to work with than anybody in the country, and and they should be really pleased, uh, you know, at Washington State. There were some things about the game, weren't, or after the game especially, we're crazy about. But uh, but that team, uh, they should be really proud. Yeah, that's, we actually, Dave and I put them at number one in our power rankings in the Pac-12. So uh, just been more impressed, a little bit more impressed with what they've been doing. We'll see. I mean, them in Washington yeah. look like the class of the hey, conference. There could be a replay. Hey, you know. Yes, yeah, it could be. Ought to be able to get through the South. And if uh, Washington State gets through the North, uh, uh, at least that game set up uh, a possible, uh, you know, return encounter, which would be, uh, hopefully USC would be in a little better better health, uh, you know, for that game and probably won't won't have to go to the police on a Friday night after traveling the week before. They'd be getting a bye. Yeah. Whoever they play will have played the week before. So maybe things even up if uh, USC gets its act together between now and the end of the season. I think I must have blocked out the, the Boston College, like, field rushing thing. That was definitely a deal. I remember that because my family's in the area, so I was, like, having to come home late from that one. I think it was 2008. Against Oregon State, I, Mark Sanchez. Maybe maybe it was two thousand nine. I think it was two thousand eight, uh, and that I was on the field for that. I remember scary. You know, it's not it's not fun when you're trying to do a job and then just masses of people wait, wait, are just running at you. You can't you can't protect yourself because they're coming from every direction, often full speed, head down. Uh, if it's a night game, they may have you know. Uh, imbibed uh, just a tad uh, to get themselves fueled up, you know, for the run. And then at, at, at both Oregon State and uh, Washington State, you have to leave the field to get to the, you know, the locker room, the interview room, that kind of thing. That's something I really would like to see the Pac-12 take a look at. I think there are four, at least four stadiums. When you go on the road, you have to leave the stadium to, uh, to get to the locker room. That's probably not big time. If you're a you know a Power Five program, you're benefiting from some of the extra millions of dollars that have been generated in a TV contract that USC you know is a big part of generating. I don't think when USC goes on the road, they should have to leave the stadium to to find a locker room. And uh, it's not like Martin Stadium; they haven't renovated it in the last few years. It's uh, you know, they've done a nice job, spent millions of dollars, built a new football facility at the end of the field, which uh, where their players don't have to leave the field, you know, to dress and, and do the post game. And, uh, and you know, I think Keeley and I may have been the only two people from the L.A. media who made it to the post game press conference. Uh, L.A. Times didn't make it. The uh, Orange County Register, L.A. News Group didn't make it. They couldn't get there. I mean, they... They literally could not get uh, to be. They were not able to do their job after the game because they couldn't get to that, you know, that building with the way, uh, you know, the post game went. So that's probably not. Uh, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Okay. So we have um, a lot of questions. I think I say this every week, but we do, um, and we you know, we do want to try to get to them all. So we'll we'll try to go through these quickly. We have a few that are positive. Let me start with these ones. I'll read you a few of these. And then get your thoughts, Dan. Um, so bear with me for a minute. He said, a year ago, we were two and three. Today, we are four and one. Last year, we didn't start getting better until week five. We know better than anyone 
how to practice with fewer bodies. The tough part of the schedule is over, and we are capable of getting better. Keep calm and fight on. That's Earl in West L.A. And then Troy75 says, the loss of two NFL receivers, an outstanding returner, a cornerback, a great defensive tackle, a dependable tight end, and great leadership from a senior middle linebacker. These players have not been replaced with better players. Why should we think this year's team is better than last year's team? If we assume that the team stays intact for a year, it's one year away from being the team that we want it to be, or is that just assuming too much about the current coaching staff's ability to develop players? So it got a little negative at the end there. Um, and then Bill says, uh, why the panic on many from the P? So he's talking about the peristyle. Went out and USC's in the playoff. Alabama and Clemson appear to be uh, in, and the Big Ten and Big 12 will work themselves out. USC does not play non-league patsies, and they could play six more ranked teams. Pac-12 championship game included the rest of the way. Offense needs adjusting, I believe, and it'll get fixed. Injuries worry more than anything now. Fight on from Bill. Yeah, I mean, I think some good points. I think the difference was, and I may may not totally agree with Earl that uh, that it was the fifth game. I think they really improved uh, for the fourth game, uh, the Utah game, that was one of those games that for everything but the final score, you, you know, you almost could mark that down as a win. But that was a different team by then. So they started getting better. I think, you know, for that game, obviously, you know, with Sam coming on. And uh, and the trajectory was pretty much upward. Uh, the trajectory of this team is not uh, is not upward. I mean, you know, that was a pretty good team that played Stanford, uh, you know, in their different sense of, you know, how Stanford is. If you watched them, uh, you know, last couple of weeks, they're pretty good. And, uh, yeah, see, I just think – yeah, do they miss the, the veteran, the tough guy receivers? Boy, you are kidding. I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, I think there was a sense that the talent would, would out and these, uh, younger kids would, would kind of be able to step in. I think, uh, uh, you were thinking Michael Pittman might be one of those and he's been really limited by that ankle sprain. I mean, he's just not the same, you know, the same Michael Pittman. Had he been able to maybe, you know, step in there and be that physical, uh, possession kind of receiver, I think that may, you know, that may change some things. Um, uh, but the offense doesn't look like it's in sync at all. There's no question about it. Sam doesn't, and, and you know, is this one of those things where Sam was just playing and having fun and doing everything he just thought he could do? And now he's the guy that's, you know, got to carry, uh, since January, he's got to carry all of that, uh, you know, all the hopes and dreams of USC football. He's got to carry the, uh, season of sam podcast for example you know i mean that's asking a lot uh to put so much on uh on on one player in in what's a team game and uh i i think they might you know take a look at how some of this has has developed uh uh you know i if it were me i would not i would never say the word balance again on offense they were perfectly balanced uh, Friday in the Palouse, 29 runs, 29 passes. That couldn't be more irrelevant that they were perfectly balanced. It didn't, or that Washington State, it was, does anybody think it was a problem? They threw it 54 times and ran it 30. It, you know, they were unbalanced yeah. and still ran the ball more than USC did. Yeah, and they were I very mean, effective the whole, running, the, they were effective running the ball even though they threw it so much. They were very effective. Yeah, absolutely. I think because they ran it or threw it well, they were able to run it. I think that you get them, you know, you get them on roller skates a little bit, looking at, you know, for the pass, and then they really pick their spots well. Uh, and 
I just think you know, there are some concepts that are, are, are under, you know, underlying this USC offense that I think they've got to get rid of. I mean, just gotta, they probably got to really simplify the run game uh, with the younger guys, and they've got to figure out what is it exactly we can do with this combination of, 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 of talent that's going to be on the field. Probably not going to have Stephen Carr for a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, you're going to have some, uh, some freshman linemen uh, on the field. Uh, I think this is going to, this is a week, maybe like the Utah week last year, where you find out, can they get it together? Can they figure it all out? Can they make it happen? And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, we, we, we talked to Clay, uh, last night and he, you know, talked about he's not going to panic and he's going to, you know, figure out what has to be corrected and get it corrected, but he's not going to go for wholesale changes. We'll see how that plays out. Well, uh, you know, I don't know that you should panic, and I don't know that you should, you should go for a wholesale changes. But they probably have to change them. I mean, the best thing that happened last year was that they made some serious changes. Uh, four games, at least going into the fourth, four, four games into the season. That was a good thing. Now, I don't know if we should be hearing that, well, we don't want to make, uh, you know, big changes right now in the middle, you know, middle of things and all that. That was the best thing you did last year. You may want to do it again because when you talk about last year and you talk about evaluating how things are going over the last year and a half, when you say, well, we were a pretty good third down team for the first couple of games and we were second in the Pac-12 going into last week or going into the Washington State game, but when you're really only, when you're 14 of 44, on your third down conversions the last three weeks, you are not a good third down team. That also means you're probably not very good in first and second down. But you can't say, you know, all week, this game is, this is, this game is going to be about third downs and you don't almost make any two of 11 and Washington State, you know, made eight and stayed on the field and ran 81 plays to USC's 58. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, they hit it exactly right. It was going to be about third downs. They got it exactly wrong, though, in figuring out how could USC convert and how could they stop Washington State from converting. They didn't get either of those parts right. Uh, and that's got to change. All right. Um, let's see. We got, we got some voicemails, too. We got a lot of emails, a lot of voicemails. A lot of T. Martin talk. I'll play you this one and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hello, Ryan and Dan Weber. Don Autry here. I'd like to make a comment on the T. Martin interview. He definitely looked uncomfortable and like a coach who knew he didn't call a good offensive game. I'll go so far as to say he knew he didn't and hasn't for the last three games. He just doesn't have the experience. This experience factor is a disservice to the talented players on USC's offense. Coach Helton has to get a more imaginative and experienced play caller that can put the offense in a better position to be successful. Please respond. And uh, Dan, real quick, we had some other play calling emails. Maybe I'll read a few of these too and we can put, is that okay? We'll get them all together. Sure. I want to get people's thoughts in there because everyone has a little bit different take. Uh, That was Don. And then Dennis in Lancaster, he said... Uh, with the offensive line underperforming again this year, 
Is it due to the play calling or Coach Callaway not developing players? So he said, love the show and fight on. So that was on the offensive line. Um, uh, Gary in L.A., who's an attorney, he's a longtime listener, first-time questioner. Excellent podcast. Thank you, Gary. He said, the offense will not get better under T. Martin. It's been five games now, and the offense is actually worse. In contrast, the defense gets better every week because of competent coaching. The, pick, the play calling isn't just bad. It's not competent. You wouldn't let an attorney, doctor, or pilot be this incompetent five times in a row. It's one thing to be bad at your job, but not being, uh, but not being minimally competent is an entirely different situation. The team was raked by injuries, and this was a short week, and the opponent was tough. But none of that stopped the defense from performing, uh, because they were comp- competently coached. USC players are so good. They have won games despite the bad play calls. This is a very dangerous thing. Our skill players, Masked the bad play calling, and since they were winning games, T. Martin assumed his play calling was working. That's not a sustainable situation, and it caught up with the team in Pullman. Question is, uh, will USC's offense get better this year under T. Martin? And it's uh, Helton's decision to promote a first-time offensive coordinator to learn on that job a head coaching blunder? And if so, how does he correct it? Uh, in any other pre- uh, profession, incompetent people must be dealt with decisively and quickly. Is college football different? Uh that's that's pretty harsh, uh, Gary. Your first question, uh, okay. and Gary in L.A. Uh, there's two more. Sorry, Jared. Okay. Uh, what would it take for T. Martin to lose pay, play calling duties? I'm sorry, the offense looked absolutely putrid tonight, and that's largely his fault. Uh, I hope we're better next week, but the injuries piling up doesn't look promising. That's from Thomas. Um, and then I'm basing this question on the Washington State game. Uh, a linebacker had a, a free straight rush. Up the middle to sack Sam. I think he's talking about the last play of the game. Was yep. that Sam or Nico on Sam or Nico to identify the protection? Uh, maybe Washington State disguises their stuff well. Unblocked rushers certainly get, uh, get out in the backfield more than once during that game, but that one stayed in my mind. And then last one, Vassar Dad. I'm sorry. So many, uh, the fire Clay Helton talk. Uh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. We'll do that. Um, oh, no, he said the fire Clay Helton needs to stop. He's the same coach who won 13 in a row and made excellent hires in Clancy Pendergast and Dylan McCullough. Clay does need to make tough decisions in the offseason, and it starts with a second-year offensive coordinator and possibly his brother Tyson, too. Is T. T. Martin ultimately responsible for the play calling, or is it shared with Tyson? And based on what you've seen after five games, would it be a large loss if either of them were to leave after the season? They have been outcoached by defensive coordinators at Western Michigan, Texas, Cal, and Washington State, except for maybe Texas, our second team has higher-ranked players than the starters for these teams. Uh, what good is T. Martin in recruiting prowess if he can't beat two- and three-star defenses who line up against our four- and five-star players? Phew! Sorry. A lot of stuff okay. there, but I think yeah. you, you got the gist. Have at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think what you're looking at, and this is the problem. This is the same offensive coordinating pair, offensive play-calling pair, that put up 52 points on a Penn State defense that was better than any defense USC has played so far this year, okay? So they built, I mean, they had to put up 52 points because the defense gave up 49 in, in two quarters in the Rose Bowl. So there you got the, the issue. I mean, you know, that was such a spectacularly, you know, almost perfect game. and had a couple of bad breaks, but other than that, that so now you've got the same, you know, same coaching, uh, Going into a season with, you know, uh, the next year of the, the great quarterback, uh, and then you've got the great, you know, running back back. And 
enough, you know, four guys who had had significant starting experience on the on the offensive line, and one who hasn't. You're missing, you're missing the tough core that you uh, catching the ball. You're missing Juju. You're missing Darius, and you're missing Daniel Imater Baby, and that that is a big takeaway. And I know, you know, you assume you're going to get some more help. And T, you know, as the wide receivers coach, is also the guy that, uh, you know, is coaching him up uh, and, and, and kind of provides his own help there. And, and that hasn't happened. And Michael Pittman, I said it before, that's a big loss that he, his ankle has just not uh, allowed him to, to be. Because, you know, without a, a, a big-time tight end who can really, uh, you know, get open and catch the ball, it really it would have helped to have a big big wide receiver who's kind of a possession and a physical guy. So they lose all that, but they also look like don't know how exactly they want to run the ball. That that the things we were seeing you know in summer camp are what we're seeing now. That they just don't they haven't figured a way uh, you know to to kind of develop uh, a flow and a rhythm. Uh, I call it grab bagging. This is from my high school days, and you would see coaches who would say, "Well, let's try that play." Well, that play doesn't work. How about this one? And and I think we practiced that one once last week. Well, let's try that one. And they just grab it out of the bag and and grab the next play call. And, and I do see too much of that. I, I don't see them as much setting one thing up from another thing. I mean, I, they threw the ball an awful lot on first down. It seemed like. Uh, with with not much success, which left them with second and ten an awful lot. So you know when you talk about more than half their third down op, you know co- you know conversion opportunities were from third and seven or more, that tells you that what you're doing on offense just really isn't working. And I know you know that uh, uh, Washington State was the number one ranked defense in the Pac-12, but. Uh, a lot of that was the fact that they'd played, you know, the 113th uh, toughest schedule, that they were, you know, had played, uh, you know, Nevada and Oregon State and, you know, a, a not very good Boise State team. They played them all at home. I mean, they were playing a 252-pound offense or defensive tackle who USC couldn't block. Uh, USC just wasn't ready to play on offense. They just really weren't. And they're not ready to play in short yardage. They're uh, 0 for 5. Uh, uh, and fourth down conversions, uh, they added one wrinkle. They seemed to encourage Sam to keep the ball more. So that was one positive wrinkle. Thank God. I mean, if they don't do that, where do, where do they end up? But the fact that, you know, Sam hasn't been able to throw touchdown passes in a couple of games just seems amazing that, uh, you know, that he can go through any one game and not throw for a touchdown, and it's happened a couple of times this year, and uh, and that's tough. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we 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 keep looking at offense, and we keep waiting for it, you know, to come around. I mean, w- when Sam came in last year, the offense started coming around, and that changed everything. Uh, we don't see that this year, and whether you know, it came around last year with T. Martin and Tyson helping out. Is the you know the two-headed play calling uh, guys in the booth? Is that working? You know it did last year. Uh, you know when you talk to T, he's the guy that does the game plan, does it by himself. Tyson's there to be thinking ahead and and saying if we've got to throw the ball, this is what he's the passing game coordinator. This is you know what we're going to do. Uh, 
I mean, is there a danger to have the head coach as a you know a former quarterback coach and quarterback, uh, the offensive coordinator as a former quarterback's coach and their former quarterback, and the uh, uh, his his play calling assistant uh, passing game coordinator is also former quarterback. You know, you is it too quarterback, uh, you know, centric, and is it one of those things where? Uh, you know the the tendency, and USC's had nothing but quarterbacks uh, the last uh, you know couple of coaches uh, before that. Where they get too much into, well, let's come up with another play, or is there another play we can run, or what about this play? Uh, and, and you know, to be a, a, a good example, the last two weeks are the the two trick plays that they've tried to run, and you just want to scream and say what are you thinking you know is that the best you can come up with and does this usc team need to be running trick plays against cal and washington state so they need to get a grip on 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 the whole offense and and, and i'm not going to be real personal about it i mean yeah it was really uncomfortable talking to t after after the washington state game there's no question about it t was not happy uh for a lot of reasons and I thought it was interesting how he made the point. Tyler Vaughn's is definitely going to be starting. Tyler Vaughn's is, def- and I don't know if that was a point that he wanted Tyler Vaughn's to start sooner. Uh, and he was in favor of the Tyler Vaughn's that we were all seeing and, uh, you know, in preseason camp. And he didn't get the start, uh, you know, for, you know, in, in favor of some veterans. I don't know, but he wasn't happy. And as some, as we've already pointed out, I guess, uh, uh, as much as T said he's absolutely going to start no matter who comes back, he's not listed first on the depth yeah. chart. Yeah, I tweeted so, I tweeted that out. I was like, how is that even? And people were getting mad. Yeah, I mean, it was somebody not listening in on, uh, <laughs> you know, with T. Because uh, he couldn't have made it any more clear. Tyler Vaughn's is going to play. And Tyler Vaughn's has to play. I mean, yeah. he has to play. I mean, that, that uh, he has to play. That fourth and 13 catch was crazy. Yeah, and he has to play just because he got the worst call in the Pac-12 this year, by far. <laughs> and so he's owed a chance to, I mean, when you get a call on you that bad, uh, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. So I don't think there's a simple answer. I mean, I don't I don't think you relieve people of their duties, but, you know, there's got to be a meeting of the minds of people who, who have to admit, and maybe they don't admit it to us or to you, but they got to admit it to themselves. This is not working. When you have the fewest offensive yards since the Alabama game, you weren't playing Alabama. You know, the same colors, but that was not Alabama out there. And, uh, you know, and that's a uh, an offense that's going in the wrong direction. And it shouldn't be. I mean, that's Sam Darnold, for God's sakes. They can't figure out what to do, you know, with Sam Darnold. Uh, uh, something, something has to change. And, you know, how... Huh. And the more you think about it, they're not giving us any hints that, that how things are going to change, but they better change. Well, we have a couple of voicemails about Sam Darnold. I'm going to play you both back to back. Here's the first one. JD from DC with this week's question for Dan. I think it was obvious to anybody watching the game last week that Sam had a very poor performance. But what I didn't realize is how epically bad it was. His QA rating of well under 40 eclipses by far even the worst game Cody Kessler ever had as a starting quarterback at USC, which ironically goes back to his sophomore year and a losing effort versus... 
Oh, and it kind of cut out there. Um, I, I think pro football. Those are interesting numbers. Uh, yeah. and that's an interesting comparison. And that was, I think, I still think that might have been epically worse, but it wasn't on Cody. That was just, uh, uh, that was on Cody's coach. Yeah. Uh, is it the same situation here? Yeah. I mean, who, who could believe that, you know, Sam, however we watched that game or saw it, when the numbers turn out like that, it's, I mean, you really don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, you just don't. And well, here we go. Let me play you one more, too. Let me play you one more. And then, uh, okay. Pro football focus, too. I think, um, they said he had a zero passer rating when he was pressured. So that's, that's not good. That's typically where he's, his strength is. But here's the other, uh, voicemail. Hi. This is, uh, Don from the East Coast. Uh, fight on. Um, this message is for, uh, you, Ryan, and, uh, Dan, I know you you mentioned before in a podcast about how um you you think something is off with Sam, and to me, what I think is off, I think that it's been a lot that's been that's been going on with him since last year. You know, he probably didn't even expect all this attention um, before the season started last year, and then once he became a starter, all those things came. Now he became the face of college football, all that stuff. I think it's a lot of attention, and he's kind of gotten away from building that rapport with your receivers. Like, he has to go out, like, perfect example, today's Saturday. So he has to be out maybe tomorrow and go out with those guys and build that rapport with all the wideouts. And I think that through that, you'll kind of see Sam because he doesn't trust some of those guys. It's obvious. And some of those guys don't know how Sam plays. They're learning, but they're learning on the run. He missed out on key moments in the spring and summertime to build with those guys. And to me, that's why he's off. He seems a little shaky because I don't think he, he trusts those guys, and it's just it's, it's no rapport there with him in the wideouts. Uh, let me know what you guys think, and I love the show, and uh, fight on from the East Coast. Thanks, guys. Okay, really good point. Uh, he didn't have as much time with the wide receivers, uh, with a whole new group of wide receivers. Uh, uh, although last year, if you figure, it was Max Brown that, that he had all the – you know, responsibility of the summer program and, uh, and all the connections with the, you know, older guys. Uh, uh, you know, so Sam was sort of a tag along, uh, with, with the wide receivers last year and he was able to develop that rapport, uh, somewhere along the way. But he really had it. They trusted him. They believed in him. They thought everything he did, you know, they, they didn't ever, you know, question anything. And, and I do think, and he missed two weeks in the summer going, uh, you know, to Nike, then going to, uh, the Manning Passing Academy, uh, where he wasn't there. They cut down on the, instead of going twice a week, they only went once a week. So that means he was, uh, you know, from 12 sessions the previous summer to, uh, four sessions this summer. Uh, yeah, did that hurt? Probably. I know, you know, he's sort of a sweet mate with, uh, with, uh, Tyler Petit. And it, and he and Deontay are, are very close. So I think they still, there's still that cut, that rapport is there. I think where the disconnect is, is kind of in the offense. I mean, uh, just the fact that, uh, you know, when he gets pressured, there's nobody to throw to a lot of times. Now I know they said there were maybe three or four times when he didn't get a chance to see the open guy, but this was a game where they threw they completed zero passes to the tight end. They completed zero passes to the running backs. Now, when you're getting the kind of pressure they were getting from Washington State, you have to throw the ball to the running backs and the tight end. You have to be able to do that. 
I mean, if you can't do that, you're really in trouble. And, uh, you know, man-to-man, USC's receivers uh, didn't seem to be able to handle the Washington State secondary. I mean, to be honest, the Washington State secondary covered USC a whole lot better than USC covered the Washington State secondary. I mean, when they played man, when they were going, you know, they were right there. Uh, They got some breaks, sure. You know, USC didn't get any breaks. You know, so what else is new? Uh, It's the Pac-12. But, uh, uh, you know, I I do think there – I think there is something to the fact that Sam and his wide receivers being, you know, completely on the same page, but I think a lot of that's on the wide receivers. They just haven't gotten there yet. They just really haven't. We've been waiting for them to get there, but, uh, uh, but it's not there yet for, for a lot of, a lot of different reasons. And then I do think, um, Sam is expecting himself. Last year he was one of the team guys and he was just, you know, playing, and having fun and doing what he does and doing what he likes to do. Now he's the face of this team. He, it's the season of Sam, um, as the USC podcast says, and it probably shouldn't be. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, any college kid, it ought to be the season of whoever. And when things are, are kind of tough, I think it makes, you know, makes the guy think, well, I've got to do this myself. I got to, you know, and that's not the way, you know, to win football games. I'm not sure what the way for this team is right now to get the rest of them involved. Uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things that went into this, and I think you guys are, you guys are picking up on uh, on a number of them. Here's uh okay. We'll start going through these emails. Try we'll try to do it quick. Uh, Mark says, I think that Ryan and you predicted in the summer that USC's defense would be the strength of the team and the offensive line and wideouts would be question marks. I think that's exactly what is playing out. Uh, why do you think the coaches have uh, eliminated traps, draws, and screens, not bubble screens, from the playbook? It would seem to me that with a more athletic line playing against a quick reacting defense, uh, would you have an advantage with some of these plays included in the mix? What are your thoughts from Mark? Well, I think they did that. Uh, against Stanford, we saw that. Uh, but then everybody's gone to school in Texas and they're bringing the kinds of pressures that maybe you're not going to be able without really executing awfully well or without maybe having a, you know, a, a fullback or whatever. You may not be able to do that. Uh, and they haven't figured out what do they want to do about teams that are willing to totally sell out and come you know, with everything they've got uh, at times. And uh, Texas did it, Cal did it, Washington State did it. And you ought to be able to to really be ready for that. And you ought to be able to say, you do this, we're going to do that. But it didn't look like there were any of those answers. Uh, uh, but I don't know what you, if you want to right now, start adding stuff. I mean, it doesn't look like they're doing what they're already trying to do very well. Uh, you know, with the offensive line. So, and now with three new guys and all of that, uh, I think you really need to uh, figure out this is who we are, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to work like crazy every week to get it right. And if we have to go and pay us twice a week because we got these young guys who haven't blocked anybody for a couple of months and have to full speed learn how to, you know, really – what game conditions are like and what game speed is like. And, and you maybe not do it a long time in any practice, but you do it so that you get that. I'm just not sure if you're a second teamer and they're going in 
shorts every day, you don't really get to block anybody. You don't really get to play football. And I think they need to play football. And they just don't quite look like they're as ready to play football as the teams they're playing against. And they were good enough to beat the first four. They weren't good enough to beat a Washington State team on a short week playing at home, playing as well as they are. And, and USC's got to go out and just take people out of games. So they got to just not hang in there. They got to get not slow start. They got to not say, we'll figure it out as the game goes on, or we didn't want to do it on defense for the first half, but we decided to do it the second half. No, you just got to go out and, uh, and take people out and get them out right away. And USC didn't. I mean, USC had a chance to go up as, as poorly as they were playing. They could have gone up 21 to 10 had they got, had they scored after, uh, Uchetta's, uh, interception almost at the goal line. But they didn't. Didn't get those four extra points. Um, tells you that, you know, this is a team that just doesn't exactly, uh, have the ability to, especially on offense, take advantage of, of what people give it. And, uh, that's gotta change. But, but I don't know if you change it by just doing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, <sighs> gotta figure it out. Who you are, how you're gonna do it, and then do it in practice. Yeah. And this is a big week to, to do that. I totally, and Dan, uh, want to get back to the questions. We have a whole bunch more. I totally forgot okay. to mention our sponsor at the top of the show, Trader Joe's. How could I forget that? Cause it's been a little crazy day for me, but I apologize. But they've been a great sponsor of the podcast. Uh, they're going to be sponsoring us throughout the, uh, regular season and through the bowl season. I just wanted to mention them uh, a little bit, talking about what you could do at Trader Joe's. Actually, I uh, didn't make it up to the Washington State game. I was trying to do a last minute flight and I couldn't. So I went downtown over to Shotgun Spratling's apartment. Him and his, uh, lovely girlfriend, Megan, hosted some people over there. Uh, including Mike Pellucci, who used to be on the USC beat and Pedro Mora, who was on the USC beat, got, they were all hanging out and talk with them. But I went, I stopped at Trader Joe's. I picked up some of my, uh, favorite Racer 5 beer. I got some Amber Ale and then I got, uh, some of those, uh, peanut butter cups, which are the best. Now, some people like the, the dark chocolate. I ended up getting the milk chocolate, but great stuff. If you're going to a party, if you're going to do tailgating, Trader Joe's got a lot of great stuff. They have awesome wine, uh, great cheese selections and a whole bunch of, uh, basic stuff too, like eggs and milk and bread and butter, but a lot of exotic stuff, a lot of the staples, um, and good stuff. So had a little, little gathering of shotguns. We did a, 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 a Facebook live at halftime while I was eating some of those peanut butter cups. So it's good, but I made sure to stop by Trader Joe's, Dan, on the way to shotguns to pick up some stuff. Uh, and I, blame you. I, I, I heard from, uh, uh, Trader Joe president, John Bassalone last week. He agreed with, uh, an observation, uh, of ours on the podcast. So always good to hear from, uh, from, uh, John Bassalone, uh, uh, a big USC fan and, uh, a very, uh, astute observer of, uh, of how the world works. And especially when he agrees with us. So yeah. Good for John. Nice, Thank John. You. Thank you. And jo- John's dad actually writes into the podcast too. So I think it was actually Dan, uh, it's Dan, his dad. There were some really long questions. Dan, you got to cut those down because we can't, we just got too many. We can't read them all. <laughs> um, let's see. Chris in San Jose said, Hey, Dan and Ryan, huge fan of the podcast. I want to know how much teaching really goes on with the wide receivers and quarterbacks. My friend is an astute football fan. He would attend every spring practice and fall practice that he was allowed to go to. When I asked him if there's any teaching going on, like footwork and how to separate from DBs, routes, etc., he mentioned there's no attention to detail during practices. Very minimal teaching. Players do their quote-unquote drills, but there is no accountability or, as I've just mentioned, attention to detail. 
Is this something you have noticed? Chris up in San Jose. Oh, I think it, it, it differs. Uh, uh, you have a, a different level of attention to detail, say, with the Juju Smith-Schuster or with uh, uh, Darius Rogers. I mean, they basically had four, you know, veteran seniors uh, with the Quan Hampton and, Isaac, you know, Whitney. Uh, so that was a whole different way of approaching things, I think. And they had a bunch of guys who were um, uh, redshirting, clearly, without a doubt, talented kids, but redshirting. Uh, you also have, and, and people have raised this question, you have uh, the wide receiver coach who's also the offensive coordinator. So um, clearly there there are times where you see them working on on, on all kinds of things, footwork, handwork, uh, separation. Uh, I think they, they actually do that fairly well as a group. Whether they uh, incorporate the individual stuff, because you don't probably need to work with Deontay on some things that you, that you need to work with, uh, let's say, a Josh Amata baby or, or whatever. Uh, but they don't. I, you will say, I will say this: they do not look like they have um, have developed this year, or have developed the way you would like them developed. They do look like, for example, uh, they can get physicaled up. By uh, by defensive back by fairly aggressive defensive backs and that's what you see where they have to play USC man uh, because they're bringing so many people. I mean you really you know so they're going to see a decent amount of that. They don't have maybe uh, the size, the strength, the experience that uh, Darius and uh, Juju had you know to beat that last year. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't just blankly say. If you don't, you know, if you don't see every practice and you don't see, uh, you know, the days you're there, they don't do what, you know, you think you, that they maybe should do. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not doing it. I thought, uh, you know, for the amount of times they did uh, summer throwing, uh, and I guess we shouldn't call it summer throwing, it's player-run practices, but, uh, but I thought they, they developed pretty well. I think one of the other things they've been doing is they've incorporated into the summer conditioning a lot of football, uh, you know, related uh, moves and drills and and uh, coach them up as position groups. Uh, and they don't, you know, require everybody to do the same kind of conditioning stuff and all that. And I think that's something that Alabama has perfected, and uh, and and USC was doing it. So, so I I, I don't know if I'd go there uh, completely. I I think they've they've done a pretty good job. And yet we don't see the development. So, you know, there's can come down on both sides of that issue. Okay. Uh, Dominic in South Bend. Uh, this question is for Dan the Man. Uh, the expectation for USC was sky high coming into the 2017 season, but through five weeks, many would say they have underachieved. The team seems to have difficulty with third down conversions, offensive play calling injuries, utilizing the right players, and finding a third receiver. It hurts to say this, but the way I see it, the team is simply overrated. Should we lower our expectations for this team so that we don't suffer heartbreaks uh, when they don't play to those sky-high expectations? Thikes and fight on, Dominic and South Bend. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the expectations uh, probably should have been sky-high after the Stanford game. Uh, I think after, you know, Texas, Cal, and Washington State, they absolutely should not be. Uh, you throw in the injuries uh, into the mix. And without a doubt, they should not be. Uh, I mean, I think at this point, 
uh, your expectations are that you're going to wait and see, you know, on Saturday. And I, I don't have any expectations at this point because I really don't know uh, how they're going to show up. Uh, I would have had an expectation Friday night that they're going to show up and play better than they did, and um, they didn't. And so having expectations at this point is, is, is not something that, that maybe you should be doing. I mean, I think last year at the Rose Bowl, I think you had expectations that, uh, that their offense would play pretty well. I don't think they had seen a team on, uh, with an offense quite like Penn State. So I don't think we knew as much of what to expect, you know, defensively. But I think, you know, it was legitimate to have high hopes for USC's offense going into the Penn State game. And it turned out correct. Uh, but, uh, but I think from the sample that we have in these five games, um, you know, you've got every, you got both 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 parts of it. Who could not have been happier with how they played uh, after Stanford and how the expectations were? Hey, this is the team you know we thought it was. And then uh, and then the next three games came, and they just haven't really shown up as that team that you thought they were. So. At this point, I'd, I'd kind of remove the expectations, just watch it and see what happens. We got Greg with two Gs in Dunwoody, Georgia. He said the targeting of Josh Follow on second and goal after Nwusu's interception seemed like a strange play selection. Greg, I could not agree with you more. He's never been targeted all year. I thought that was terrible. He said, in light of Kerry Angeline's recent decision to transfer due to lack of playing time, do you think all uh, – you think it's – do you all, I'm sorry, do you all think it's possible that T and Helton targeted follow merely to ensure that he doesn't feel the same disappointment over playing time that Angeline did? In other words, was that play called as a gesture to make a player happy? Fight on from Greg. No, I, I would think the only justification for that call was that you're trying to figure out what do you think Washington State thinks we're going to do? No way they think we'd throw it to a guy who hasn't gotten, you know, targeted, you know, all year, certainly not at the goal line. Why don't we try that? Maybe we'll trick them. We'll fool them. And unfortunately, Washington State played him like a lot of teams do <laughs> in the Pac-12, where they, you know, kind of held him. But that's what happens to, you know, freshman uh, tight ends. And he didn't get any separation. And the ball was still thrown his way for what could have easily been a 100-yard pick six. Uh, the whole play, from concept to execution, made no sense. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't look as deeply into it as you have looked. Uh, I kind of wish Kerry Ensline would have been lined up for that play, to be honest. Uh, <clears throat> at least you could have thrown it up for grabs. Uh, but, uh, that was, uh, that was inexplicable. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, we had Jeff in Orange County. He sent like five voicemails in and they were all, he tried to do them shorter, but they were all still like two minutes long. So Jeff, make sure you send them in. Just time yourself. A minute's good. Anything more than a minute, we're not going to put up there. Um, but he was kind of talking about the wide receiver development as well, but he was even critical of Deontay Burnett a little bit, Dan. He said he stopped on a long pass that he thought was a good pass by Darnold. Um, he jumped at one that, that ended up being over his head that he needed to keep running. So 
I, he was kind of critical of all the wide receivers and not helping out Sam Darnold. Yeah, I don't know that they did, uh, but uh, but Deontay's playing with a sore shoulder, hadn't practiced basically, certainly we didn't see him practice. Uh, so if he was thrown off a little bit, and then he gets so much attention from people, uh, so I think he was a good shoulder uh, out there and, and just doing the best he could. So I'd, have, I'd be hard-pressed to uh, to uh, criticize Deontay, uh, you know, with the, with the shoulder. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there was a reason they held him out of practice, uh, basically all week. I mean, we don't see Thursday or in this case, Wednesday's practice, but, uh, uh, uh no, I, 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 I don't think anybody helped Sam out all that much, but, um, but, uh, I wouldn't, I, I just wouldn't focus it on any one guy. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't just seem to get much separation and give Sam much help. And, uh, and I wasn't crazy about the patterns they were running. Um, wasn't crazy about the things they didn't run in order to stop uh, the way uh, you know Washington State was uh, was pressuring Sam. Uh, I, I just think I think it started before uh, the wide receivers play uh, in the game. I think there was uh, there were other things that that made it harder for them to to really contribute. Yeah, and, and Sam obviously didn't play well either. So. Um, we got some text questions. So these are sent to our text line. Lamar in the high desert. He said, Hey, Ryan and Dan, the kids played hard. The defense looked great, but wore down in the fourth. USC has the hardest schedule to date. No bye week and the injuries to the offensive line through Sam, uh, through Sam off other than Alabama and Penn state. Uh, and he, he put Clemson in there too. Would any other team in the nation be unbeaten with the above mention? That's a really good question. Uh, I think you can make the case. I think Alabama and, Cle- and Clemson have separated themselves, uh, you know, from USC. I, I mean, from USC, from the rest of the country. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I'm not even sure, uh, it didn't Penn State get out of the wire with, uh, with <coughs> who was it? Uh, Youngstown State? Uh, or no, that was Pitt. Uh, Iowa, uh, right? Was uh, it uh, Iowa? Uh, I think they, they played Iowa really. It, yeah, they did a last minute. Oh, last they beat play. Iowa in the very last play. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, also Akron or somebody. So yeah, I think you could make that case that you could take anybody else, give them USC schedule, give them a prize. I mean, just the idea of giving Alabama or, uh, uh, even Clemson from small town Clemson, giving them a Friday night game, you know, at 7.30 in the police. The, the, on the second week of a you know a two game road trip on a short week, no, I mean because you can't find another team that would take that. I mean I, I know we finally got John Wilner got on board uh, the Pac-12 guy at, in San Jose who who basically you know his job is covering the Pac-12 and uh, he finally realized boy uh, Pac-12 isn't doing USC any favors so that schedule blah blah but one little nugget in there was that USC has known since last January, and I had forgotten that, they knew since last January what the schedule was going to be. And there is time built in to the process for teams to object to the schedule and say, no, we're not doing that. No, we, we don't accept that. Apparently, USC didn't object. Uh, that's on USC. I mean, it's on the Pac-12, obviously. It's on ESPN, obviously. I tried to get Larry Scott to admit that. Uh, he was at the Texas game at halftime and he wouldn't. He wanted to blame just, it's on the ESPN, not us. That's not our fault. Well, 
you know, I think it's the Pac-12 fault uh, for not raising that issue with ESPN, and I think it's USC's fault for not raising that issue with the Pac-12. Yeah, and and it's hard to you know even conceive of one of the other powerhouses in the country going along with that, and USC shouldn't either. Yeah. Um, th- okay. This one, this voicemail. I mean, this text message. I actually had to tweet out a line from it because it was pretty funny, just to kind of give you the. The, the sheer number of questions and what the kind of, uh, venom some of them were, were feeding us here. It's, uh, Mike in the Bay Area. He says, Hey, Ryan, Mike from the Bay Area. Question for Dan Weber. After the loss, I'm very confident in the defense, but worrying about all the injuries. The offense, on the other hand, is atrocious. I understand all of the injuries, but the play calling. I've seen monkey shit fights at the zoo more organized <laughs> than this. Where do we go from here? Thanks for all the content and hard work you put into the site. As always, fight on from mike i don't don't remember seeing a whole lot of monkey shit fights but i mean see mike i call it grab bagging and i think that's the most i can farthest i can go but i think you you very much one-up me (laughs) i think we may be we may be talking about kind of the same thing uh you know you can't just keep picking plays out of out of a book somewhere i mean i i don't know it's it's ever to that you know, that time Lane Kiffin admitted that, you know, with the three columns, one was we, you know, the plays we almost always work on and always run, and the second ones are the ones we, you know, we bring in when we really, we really need them and work on them. And then I asked, I said, well, what's in that third column? And he said, oh, those are the ones we never work on, and we probably think they won't work. But I said, why are they still there? <laughs> uh, I have a feeling USC is edging into that third column, especially on the trick plays. And I can't, I can't give you a better answer than that, but you kind of described it in ways in which uh, we'll just let stand uh, as your own uh, description. I think Chris Dufresne had a, a great tweet. He said, Mike Leach is calling beautiful plays. USC is calling plays. So it was like, <laughs> I thought that was a what great tweet. What more do you need to say? Yeah. It was. Uh, <laughs> I loved watching Washington State play. They played so hard, and they played so smart, and they they got as much out of their ability as you possibly can. And what more can you ask yeah. than that? I mean, that's uh, that was wonderful. Way to go, Washington State. Sir Eric of Troy uh, from Rancho Cucamonga tweeted us, I mean, uh, texted us, sorry. Hello, uh, is Clay Helton honestly the sunshine pumper behind closed doors with his coaches than he is in public? Uh, even after the inexcusable loss like this, he still says things like, I told the players I was proud of them for the way they played and told T. Martin he called a good game. But Why? That is simply not true. I played this loss. I, I placed this loss at T. Martin's doorstep more than I do anyone else. I listened to Coach O, who I happen to like very much after the LSU loss to Troy. He straight up said we got outplayed and outcoached. No sugarcoating at all. So my question to Dan is, is Clay Helton living with his head in the clouds and really believes that his staff is doing good work? Or does he secretly tell his coaches they stunk up the place when necessary? Personally, I feel the team is full of college-level talent. But play calling often looks as predictable as Pop Warner. Thanks for your answer. Love the show. Sir Eric of Troy. I hope he's not, Sir Eric. Uh, one of the comments I think that bothered me the most after the game was, he, and I said it a couple of times, that Washington State made one more play than we did. Uh, uh, no. They made a lot more plays than USC did. That it was still tied at 27 with two minutes to go is something I truly cannot figure out. But they did not, and I can't believe Clay believes that. I mean, I think it, maybe it's what you tell your players. 
I don't know if that's the right. Is this a team that needs to be encouraged, or do they need to get a you know a a a, a boot uh, you know somewhere? Uh, but uh, yeah, this was not a, a one play game. You know that they made one more play. So Clay does say some things that I don't think he believes, but he he really is trying to be that you know and guy that encourages them. Uh, one would hope he's not encouraging his coaching staff the same way. They're big boys. They're making a lot of money uh, to coach football. And I hope when the doors are closed that people are throwing things uh, because, I mean, I can't even imagine watching that film uh, and not having people come to blows. I mean, it's just, it's so, some of the things that happened were, were so bad. And, uh, you know, it, they, it's got to change. And, I don't know if you change it by saying we're, we, you know, how do you change, for example, the goal line offense when you say, I think we called the right plays? Hello? <laughs> I mean, if you can't block Hercules Mata'afa and, and keep him from penetrating between your center and guard, uh, then you don't call that play. You know, I mean, come on, let's have some reality here. Uh, and you don't run at him, for God's sake. If you think he's the most aggressive, toughest defensive player in the Pac-12, why the heck are you running at him on the goal line? Yeah. Uh, Makes no I, sense. You know, we, we ask these questions that basically answer themselves, so we won't answer them. We had a couple questions about tight ends. Uh, first is uh, Chris. He said, Hello, Periscale Podcast. Should Coach Baxter consider hiring a tight ends graduate assistant coach that could develop athletes such as Daniel Mentorbebe, Josh Follow, and possibly Cameron McDonald from Long Beach Poly? Um, and what have the Trojans done since the Division One Advisory Council approved the 10th coach? And then Dan, class of 1962, said, John Baxter was hired as supposedly an outstanding special teams coach and, in fact, was allowed to distribute scholarships to kickers, holders, and long snappers in order to entice them to coach to, uh, for him to coach at USC. He was also made an assistant head coach, and now we discover he is the tight ends coach. I don't know if you just discovered that, Dan, but it's been, it's been a while. Yeah. Aside from a few block kicks and the, the skill of a Dory Jackson and punt return and kickoff return, what has he done to deserve all this recognition? Now we find out he can't find a role for six foot eight Carrie Angeline. Maybe it would be better to have a true split tight ends coach who doubles as a special teams coach. I would appreciate your assessment of John Baxter's contribution to the coaching staff. <laughs> So. Well, I think Kerry uh, Colbert has helped out a lot. Yeah. Uh, at tight end, he's actually helped out there much more than at wide receiver. So, I mean, they do have a really competent, uh, uh, you know, receiver. Anyway, I mean, uh, he was always the guy that Pete Carroll said would would of all his players would be the first one that he would he would see as a coach. So he's getting pretty good help, I think, from the graduate assistant. I mean, this is a you know a guy not only played in the NFL for five years, I guess it was, and then went to Alabama and coached a couple of years and came home. So uh, you know, I think he's got help. Uh, and, and I think he can make, uh, you know, make some criticism about the fact that uh, his scholarship guys haven't exactly panned out and his walk-on guys have, although you got to give him credit. If you get Chase McGrath to walk on as good as he is, then you've done a good job for USC. Uh, but, you know, we can argue over all the, you know, the special teams things. And, and the Carrie Angeline thing did not go down well at all. And, you know, the reports that, uh, that that happened between Carrie and Clay and that there was a, a cutout uh, for the tight ends coach 
makes you wonder, you know, what, what exactly did happen. Uh, somewhere there, there was, uh, uh, they were off the track between, you know, the tight ends coach, it appears, and the, uh, the tight end who left, and, and I think is a real loss to the program. And when you talk to John about it, he said how much he misses, you know, and wishes he would have changed his mind and wishes he wouldn't have uh, chosen to leave and all of that. I mean, there was a time pressure for him, for Kerry, if he wants to play next year. There's a time pressure for him uh, to uh, to make that move. Uh, it, it, it seems a shame that no one saw it coming, apparently. And uh, that makes you question, you know, some things. But uh, we're going to leave it there. I think you, if you're going to take some shots at him, you have to give him credit for the job they did last year with Daniel Amaterbebe. They, uh, you know, he's gotten bigger, stronger, I think one of the best tight ends in the country if he gets healthy. Uh, but so we'd be having a completely different conversation about tight ends in USC if uh, Daniel were healthy. So, so I might just leave that one, leave that one for further development. All right. We got uh, Steve from Salt Lake City. Uh, he said, first time mailer, I have a question for D-Webb. Uh, what is the offensive line doing to better prepare themselves for schemes and pressures that are not on opposing teams' tape? Ever since the Stanford game, it feels like we've been very inconsistent, and we all know the games are won in the trenches. Please enlighten Trojan Nation. What is being done to improve the offensive line play? Thanks, and keep up the great work. You guys make my game week fly by from Steve. Well, Steve, uh, I know for the Texas game, they knew they'd be coming at them. That's the philosophy of, of the Texas, uh, new Texas uh, defense coordinator. They didn't know from where. Uh, so they were half prepared, and then they saw stuff they hadn't seen at all. With Cal, I think they knew they were coming, and they, they tell you they saw what they saw. from. They knew what Cal was going to do. They still didn't handle it great. Uh, with Washington State, I don't think they did – they did what they do, and what they do is is not all that predictable. But they do it with with guys, little guys that that are, you know, how often do you get if you're a, an offensive lineman at USC? How often do you block a 252 pound defensive tackle? Uh, but I mean, yeah, you do learn things. You get down on the field, for example, at the end of the Texas game, you you stand down there and you look at them and you say, "Whoa, they really got some athletes. These guys are big and strong and." You get down on the field at the end of the Washington State game, you said, wow, they got some little guys. Uh, but, boy, they're coming after. And as Sam said, you know, last week, he said, the only thing he can say about, you know, the defenses they're playing is they're going to come after us and come after us hard. He said they do every week. Uh, are they doing enough? I think, again, there's the question of how you practice. And if you're spending a lot of time lining up at practice and who's responsible for this and who's responsible for that, and you're in shorts and you can't really go to the ground and all of that, are you getting ready for teams who everybody says and everybody knows they're going to bring it? They're going to sell out. They're not playing not to lose. They're playing to win. They're playing to take USC out of the game, and uh, they're bringing it. And are they seeing that in practice? I would say not enough. Uh, and, and I think that – I think it hurts the offensive linemen maybe more than anybody. And I think it really does. Uh, they do not get a chance to block people 
that are going to be playing at the speed and the intensity that uh, that defenses that they're seeing are bringing it. Tarek's got a quick one. Does USC practice different than it plays? Uh, no, actually, I think they kind of play the way they practice. I think most people do. I think that's the way it works. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And I, I, I try, you know, for how many weeks in a row they've tried to uh, kick it into gear toward the end uh, and hasn't been enough. It uh, wasn't enough anyway um, at, uh, you know, at Pullman. There just was not enough there against that team, uh, you know, to, to get it in gear and have talent take over. But, uh, yeah, they do practice the way they play, or, or vice versa. Both, both of those are true. Practice the way you play and play the way you practice. Yeah. Let's see, Bill in San Jose, a.k.a. Trojan War Machine, how does USC's practice schedule differ from what most other teams are doing? Do they all take Sundays and Mondays off, or do they all practice once a week in full pads? Please compare, say, Stanford's practice schedule with USC's. Well, you can't do all that much different in terms of time. It's 20 hours. Uh, you've got to have a full day off. Uh, they don't all take Sunday off. Some of them uh, practice Sundays, take Monday off as the full day off. Uh, Friday, I think, for most is is basically a walkthrough and a real walkthrough. It's not a real practice at all. It's uh, it's a day to rest and relax. So I think the timing, you're allowed two full pads practices. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many teams are doing that now, but I would say USC probably on the lighter side of uh, full pads practices. I would say there's there's no question that 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 would be the case. Uh, and last week they had no pads, no uh, full pads practice. And, uh, I'm not sure how many teams would have done that. Uh, you know, it's still fairly early in the season, but they're, they've really, you know, tried to figure out what do we do with the 12 straight game, no buy regular season. Uh, they, that's been a big part, you know, in their minds. And, uh, some of us, remembering how they approached uh, with clay the uh the holiday bowl against wisconsin i think a lot of us thought maybe took too much time off maybe you know are going to play a physical a tough physical big 10 team that's going to hit you and, gonna, and been practicing in pads most of the most of their bowl practices and usc wasn't and didn't take them all uh that probably is something you could you could second guess and and so I would say USC's on the on the light side of the physicality and practice. For example, they practiced longer, let's say, than the Pete Carroll teams did. But I think the Pete Carroll teams were more physical in that when they went uh, ones against ones, for example, they really competed. Maybe not a long time, uh, but they competed in practice in maybe in ways that we don't quite see with this team this team mostly goes first offense against second defense second defense against or second offense against first defense uh you don't see much of the uh ones against ones you don't see all that much uh ones against ones so uh that's the big argument that's the big uh that's the thing that decides i think how good a coach you are is how much you make practice like the games 
and how much then the, the games are the way you practice. If you can do that, then you are, you know, in that elite, elite group where it translates uh, completely from practice field to game. And, uh, and that's always the challenge. And that's the, that's the separating point uh, among coaches. Um, Jeremiah Jones says, any chance we could see Jacob Daniel return to the defensive line with Marlon Josh and potentially Rasheem Green being injured? Also, I was the first to defend uh, Dan's remarks on the Washington State postgame instant analysis. However, do you guys feel there's any validity to the claims that USC was faking injuries? Thank you again for the great work and have a great Monday, Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah, uh, as far as Jacob Daniel, I was just noticing how much I like the way he's settling in on offense and really looks like there's a future for him there. And you have to remind me that maybe there is, uh, you know, that place where, I mean, you would like to see Brandon Peely get his chance. You'd like to see Marlon to it, Pelot to, uh, you know, his back to come around, which was the, you know, the complete surprise injury for all of us that we didn't know about or, uh, Jay Chafele. But, uh, um, I, I guess it's a possibility. As to the, the faking injuries, I mean, there might have been times when you would say, hey, USC ought to fake an injury here. They, I mean, I, I've only seen them for 16 years. I haven't ever seen a USC player fake an injury. I think if you were, if you're a USC player and you fake an injury, uh, it would be so uh, beneath the way USC looks at itself as a football program. And if you were forced to fake an injury at Washington State, it would be almost demoralizing for USC. I mean, they went into the game with more injuries than we'd ever seen. Uh, they had a game where they, they, they were, had 81 plays run against them by a team that really plays hard. They had guys that were injured who got re-injured and tried to keep playing. Uh, it was like you're going to boo a kid who comes into the game hurt, gets hurt in the game, and tries to go back in. And that proof to the it, uh, I won't say the word. Okay, I will not say the word about the Washington State fans. But I thought there were thousands of them who were just convinced that those USC kids were were uh, you know, faking injuries. And I thought that was really unfair. You got a USC kid down on the ground, clearly hurt. And this wave of booze is coming out of the crowd as if USC is going to fake injuries. And it was at all different times. There was at times when it wouldn't have been any advantage uh, for USC to do so. I thought that was was really uh, not a class thing to do. It was not a, uh, uh, a sportsmanlike thing to do. And I think US, uh, USC probably is owed an apology from a bunch of Washington State fans. I thought that was really, really not uh, not fair, not right. Let's see. We got a few more. Um, Tom and Torrance. I enjoy the podcast. I listen to it weekly. The question's for Dan. Uh, you, you've been saying all along that the offensive line is lean and athletic and they will be better than last year. Well, they're worse than I can, and they're worse. They can't block and they can't move the ball. And Sam is having a hard time. What is the answer? Can we just play the freshmen and get them ready for next year? Thank you and fight on Tom and Torrance. Well, I mean, you say they are. Well, they weren't. I mean, that's the problem. They lit up Stanford. They blocked the heck out of Stanford. I mean, you watch that film and you think, oh, look at these guys. Uh, where that went, how that went away, how that doesn't translate to the next three games, I'm absolutely baffled. But do they not look athletic? They do not look very athletic. 
uh, is it the way they're practicing? Is it, you know, is it connected to the idea that we've got to take it easy and get them through this because this is going to be a long season and we don't want to push them? And, and is it, you know, uh, a carryover from uh, their practice habits? And that, that, that once you hit that Stanford game, you kind of think, well, all we got to do is keep it right there and, and, and kind of approach it like an NFL team. I don't know. But they were there. There were some there were some blocks in that Stanford game that were as good a blocks as you've ever seen from a USC team, and there were holes there. And there, were, I mean, they 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 put up 623 yards on Stanford. Uh, so uh, does that explain anything that's happened since? No, nope, nope. But I don't know that it's because they're unathletic. But some of those guys that were pretty athletic, like Chuma uh, and Toa. We're not sure where they're going to be, and I know Clay, you know Clay said this week. Well, we'll see Tuesday. We'll see Tuesday, and we will see Tuesday. But if uh, if they're not there, uh, there has to be some adjustments and some and uh, going in some different direction uh, for Andrew Voys and Austin Jackson, who are pretty athletic, uh, to be honest, and Clayton Johnson. And if you've got those guys, you've got to get them uh, so that the, everything works together. The run game, the pass game, uh, is all stuff that they can really uh they can really master and now at least you ought to have an idea of how people are going to try to defend you they, they're all they all went to school on the stanford game and said we can't do that we can't stand and wait and we can't you know just uh, line up and say here we are and we're going to just play you you know man to man uh and our man on man and then you saw texas and everybody says whoa okay that's the way to play them and that's what you would think. That's what they're going to see, and they've got to get them ready uh, for that. They they now know absolutely what's coming. But we'll find out if they're athletic or not. Uh, you'd like them to show that athleticism in practice, and that's what we haven't been seeing. Max uh, wrote in and said, "Is Clay Hilton an elite coach in college football?" The question is not, "Is he a nice guy?" It's also not if he's going to be fired. It's is he one of the top 20 college football coaches in the country? Well, I don't know if you can make that that decision. We're going to see. We'll find out. You'll be the first to know. We all will. Uh, he had a 13-game win streak uh, after a 1-3 and three start. So that's something. He he turned it around. He went through and he won one of the, the great Rose Bowls that ever has ever been played, came from two touchdowns down, uh, didn't show any panic on the sideline with nothing but uh you know a positive influence uh, the way that game went uh so from all those you know that way of looking at this uh, at what clay helton has done <clears throat> he's in a you know very high pressure job very very public job uh, he's got you know he's such a good guy and and people really like him i think he's uh showing signs of being a really good recruiter so I don't know that you make those kind of, you know, judgments after 20-some games or whatever. Uh, you have to play it out. You can't let it – you can't let, uh, you know, first season and a half uh, say, wow, he's an elite coach, but you can't go the other direction either. We'll see. I mean, he's got a chance. You're going to have to do the same thing he did last year or this year. Uh, if he can pull that off, uh, you know, they could run the table and they could end up in the championship game. And if they do that, uh, we'll see. 
But um, but I, I just think it's too early to start deciding whether he's an elite coach. Uh, I think it's too early for even like a Tom Herman at Texas. I just think let let's let it percolate for a little bit uh, at those kinds of programs, and then and then and then make your call. Jason in Longhorn Country said a few <coughs> weeks ago, Urban Meyer chastised Tom Herman for in uh in the, I'm sorry for indirectly blaming the loss to Maryland on the players left over from the strong from the Charlie Strong tenure. Switching gears to USC, have you ever heard of a head coach defending his staff so much at the expense of his players? I like the guy as a human being, but Clay Helton is essentially throwing our players under the bus every game. Plus, even if he's if it's not the quote unquote play calling at some point, when do you have to blame the coaches for not coaching the players well enough to avoid these missed assignments and physical beats. Hopefully Urban Meyer, a coach, uh, yeah, hopefully coach Urban Meyer will overhear some of coach Helton's comments and provide a wake up call to this coaching staff, just like he did with Tom Herman at Texas fight on Jason and Longhorn country. Well, but Clay Helton wasn't a urban assistant like, <laughs> like Tom Herman was, but get your thoughts on that. Yeah, too. I can't, I can't say it better than Jason did. I think he, he said it uh, really well. And I'm not a big uh, – Urban Meyer gives lectures to people about <coughs> things that I'm not sure Urban Meyer should be giving people lectures about. But, uh, you know, for that point, I think he makes a good point. I don't think Clay is intentionally doing that. I think he is trying to rally to the aid or, you know, the side of his, uh, his coaches. He knows they're getting hammered. And I think he's trying to say – uh, that he's with them and he's all of that. We don't know what conversations take place outside of, you know, the answers to our questions. But, uh, but I don't, I don't think he's intentionally throwing the players under the bus and saying, you know, we called the right play at the goal line if they just blocked it. it, it uh, I don't agree with that. All right. We got one last one. Man, we got through a lot. You did awesome job, Dan, by the way. There were so many, Thank but you. here's one last Let's one. Try it. <laughs> Dan Weber and Ryan Abraham, this is Dan Orr calling from the Trojan Club of San Diego. Can't tell you how much we're looking forward to seeing you guys down here next Friday, October 6th, for our second Trojan Club luncheon of the football season. Uh, we've got lots to talk about, and we're really looking forward to uh, seeing you too. So um, if anybody that uh, listens to your podcast wants to come and hear you as well, they can make reservations at our um Website at trojanclubofsandiego.com. Fight on, beat the Beavers. Well, uh, I think Dan's just trying to make sure we haven't failed uh, after last weekend, uh, <laughs> Ryan. We always enjoy going to, always enjoy going to San Diego, and uh, you know, and seeing Dan and the guys. And I know he was so hopeful uh, the last time we talked that this would be an unbeaten USC team, but uh, there'll probably actually be more to talk about. Yeah, I think there'll definitely be a lot more to talk about. Well, you're getting phone calls. I know things are blowing up. I know. We'll, uh, we'll let you go. It's a perfect timing. But thanks again for coming on, Dan. Sounds good. All right. That's Dan Weber. It. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Uh, we'll be back in one minute. We're going to talk with Joe Duffy about the uh, point spread from the Washington State game and, of course, the upcoming Oregon State game. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle podcast 10 years ago, people have been asking me for betting advice, and mostly if I think USC will be covering the point spread. Well, let me tell you this. Where you are betting is just as important as which side you are betting on. That's why I always tell people to go to my bookie 
MyBookie.ag. MyBookie's been in business for years, and their rep is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing, and they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. You know who's going to win, right? Lay down some cash, and you can win big today. I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and they definitely have. That's why I'm telling you, make your way over to MyBookie.ag because they pay. And they also have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. So go now to MyBookie.ag. They will match your deposit with a 100% bonus if you use the promo code Parastyle. So visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, we welcome back Joe Duffy. He's the CEO of OffshoreInsiders.com uh, on behalf here on behalf of MyBookie.ag. Uh, what's up, Joe? How you doing, man? Oh, everything's going uh, great, Ryan. I know that uh, you know maybe some of your listeners aren't all that happy about USC losing, but I have to admit I had Washington State last week, so I was at least glad they covered. <laughs> yeah, this was weird. So I told I think we talked about this on the last show. I believe the spread was like three and a half or something. It moved around a little bit. I had not picked USC to cover and they're one, they were one and three against the spread. Of course I was wrong. They're one and four against the spread. Um, they came out looking good in the first drive and then they just kind of reverted back to some of the wishy washy, mediocre play that we've seen. But yeah, you were right, man. They, uh, they didn't cover that one either. Yeah, you're right. And you know, a guy that we'll probably talk about Sam Darnold second time this year, he has not thrown a touchdown pass, nine touchdowns and, eight interceptions. Of course, it's always the quarterback and the coach, the first two guys that get blamed. But, you know, when you had a guy who was a Heisman favorite and in a big game, he doesn't throw a touchdown pass and he, he has almost as many interceptions as touchdowns. Yeah, clearly USC has been a bit of a disappointment this year. They, you know, they have time to turn things around, but whether or not, you know, a, a one loss Pac-12 team would make it in the playoffs. Of course, it depends on so many different factors, but USC certainly been a disappointment this year. You know, if you look at the spread, as you said, they've been a major disappointment. Yeah. That, so I don't know how, what kind of trends, but when you see a team constantly not covering, um, yeah. as, as a favorite, is there trends or do you read anything off of that when you, uh, you know, kind of do your, your, uh, prognostications and everything? Yes, I have what I call, and I really use it a little bit more in the NBA than I do in football, but I use it in all sports. I call it my dichotomous straight up and ATS theory, which essentially when a team is winning straight up, or of course USC did not win straight up, but they still have a, a very good straight up record. When a team has a very good straight up record, but a bad ATS record, or just vice versa, the team has a terrible straight up record, but they are covering games. As a general rule of thumb, I like to ride those streaks because that is a perfect indicator that a team is greatly overvalued or undervalued and a team that is, you know, winning and not covering. And again, I, I realize, of course, USC lost, but they still have a winning record this year, but a losing record ATS that for the most part, their value is not going to drop in the odds makers because they continue to win. It would drop a little bit more if they lost. So yeah, I like to ride those spread streaks when a team is on a dichotomous streak straight up and ATS. Well, this, uh, this weekend, USC has no buys like we talked about before. This is as close to a buy as you're probably going to get with Oregon State. What's the, what's the spread here? Any thoughts? It is 34, and uh, Oregon State, from a betting standpoint, they remain the worst spread team in the country, not only 
oh and five against the spread but the spread margin or you know some people may have seen it on on espn chalk they used to like to refer to it as the sweat barometer they are missing covering by an average of 21.6 points per game now usc <laughs> as we said they're one and four against the spread but they're only they're against the spread margin is minus 4.8 which for you know a team that's one and four isn't quite as bad but but you're right this is as close as you're going to get for a to a buy and if usc treats it like a buy which you can see how they would we you know keep talking about they struggled against texas going into overtime against cal they could have lost until cal gave it a game away and then last week of course they lost so if anything yeah maybe they will try to regroup and that is a ton of points although the public uh for the most part, they don't like going with awful teams like Oregon State. So I don't think there'll be a lot of public money. Do you think there will be some sharp money? Because quite frankly, this does fit into a couple of what I call bubble burst theories that when a team is off of their first loss, they're usually a go against. And I even have one, and I'll tell you flat out, this is going to be a premium play. So your listeners are going to get Ooh. a premium play. One of my many bubble burst theories this wins long term, but especially over the last couple of years, going with underdogs of six and a half or more versus an opponent off of their first loss of the year when that opponent was ranked 16th or higher. Going against them is 22, one and two against the spread the last two years. And it's consistent with really what my bubble burst theory is. You know, the higher they go, the harder they will fall. So when a team is highly ranked off of their first loss, they're usually go against now, uh, you know, and uh, road underdogs of 21 or more are 68 and 41 this season and 262 and 199 the last three years. I think I had mentioned to you college football is the one and only sport where I do bet some big favorites. But over the last three years, underdogs uh, do well, just like they do in every other sport. Wow. So the so the your theory, which is a really interesting one, I think that's you know, so much technical knowledge there. Is that Oregon State would cover this game just from? Yes. Okay. Wow. All right. Yes. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. The 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 general thought, you know, a lot of people think that um, USC. Well, they're going to take out their frustrations on Oregon State, and I think you know maybe the odds makers are one step ahead of you. They know that people like betting teams off of a loss when they're going to be extra angry, but no, this says they're susceptible to a letdown. Okay. Um, so that's the game. Wow. 34 points. That's a lot. USC hasn't scored that much. <laughs> that yeah. many points. Uh, we'll see if they can do that. Uh, a lot of injuries too on the offensive line. Yeah. Something like that too. Where USC has three offensive linemen go down. Does that impact things at all or? Oh, yeah. M- most definitely. And usually, um, injuries at quote unquote at the point of attack will sneak under the radar more than if it's to a skilled position player. And yeah, when you're talking about laying that, big of a number a team's depth is much more important because you know you figure at some point usc should have the opportunity to empty the benches but if you're laying 34 points you know you want to make sure those uh, third stringers are able to perform and look oregon state they, if anything else they got motivation to at least save some face uh, you know oregon state is all the reason in the world to go for a quote-unquote moral victory and you know usc really if they want to make a statement as far as being a one-loss team that makes the playoffs it's not going to happen against oregon state it's you know they're going to have to run the table and then beat the nationally ranked teams that they play not you know beat an oregon state 70 to uh, to nothing but yeah most definitely um especially when you're laying a big number and a team has injuries on the offensive line that's going to affect their the depth 
So it's I, I think it's one of those games where the sharps will be on Oregon State, but the general betting public's going to say, hey, look, USC, they're, they're going to be really ticked off and they're going to take out their frustrations on uh, Oregon State. So if anything, this number could go up a little bit. We're talking with Joe Duffy, CEO of Offshore Insiders. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Offshore Insider, just no S at the end. He's here on behalf of MyBookie.ag. One last thing, uh, Sam Darnold, like you mentioned, not a great performance, um, but he's still among you know the top six or seven guys for favorites of the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, he is. I mean, he does continue to drop. I told you last week it was a five-man race. Well, Bryce Love has definitely entered it. He's been you know, tremendous. And, of course, we talked about him earlier in the year. We knew he had great numbers last year. I think he averaged, what, like seven, over seven yards a carry. But, of course, in in uh, limited carries because he was playing behind a, a pretty good player by the name of McCaffrey himself. But, yeah, Saquon Barkley, he's leading the way uh, at even money now. And he's been wow. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Baker yeah, Baker Mayfield is uh, second at plus 225, or that's a little bit more than two to one. You know, Lamar Jackson, obviously, you knew that Louisville is a team that could have three or four losses this year. And the Heisman Trophy voters, one of the things that has not changed, they, they generally like teams that at least contend it for the national title. And I don't think that's going to be Louisville this year. Then, then Rudolph and then uh, right after that, Love and Darnold are, are tied at uh, plus 1800. I'm, I'm still waiting for Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin, a fellow New Jersey native <laughs> who's having a great year. He's not, he hasn't even appeared in the odds uh, yet because I was going to, you know, maybe put a, a penny. Uh, OK, now I take it back as of this morning. Now I, I look down. It's just been updated. He's actually plus 500. So you can win 8500 on a $100 bet. That might be something at mybookie.ag. I think that's your, your best uh, long shot bet. Jonathan Taylor. You can win some serious money betting a couple bucks at mybookie.ag on him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Bryce Love, uh, you know, he's only averaging like 12 yards a carry. So that's that seems pretty good. Ran for 300 yards in his last game. He does have those two losses, but, um, yeah, he certainly can make a run. Sam Darnold, I mean, he could make a run, too, if USC, run, you know, wins out and goes to the Pac-12 championship and all that, and he has good numbers, that's fine. But we just haven't seen that. So I think that's why yeah. some, some of the fans are a little worried. Yeah, I think we're we're speaking very briefly off of the air. So when people might compare this to, I know a lot of the media will do their Heisman Trophy polls or the Heisman Trophy standing. This is different. This is based on projection. I'm sure that, uh, you know, based on season to date in those polls that Darnold will probably be a little bit lower. But the odds are still based on, you know, you and me projecting what they're going to do from this point on. So he certainly has a, a chance to... uh to win this thing, to say the least, but his margin of error is growing thin. At this point, he should have certainly a much better touchdown to uh, interception ratio. But, you know, we know he played very well against Stanford, so maybe he does play his best against the best. And, you know, pretty much USC, obviously, to have any chance at the playoffs, USC has to run the table. And if they do, and, you know, all of a sudden Darnold plays very well at the end of the year, he could he could still win this thing. Joe Duffy, CEO of Offshore Insiders here on behalf of MyBookie.ag. Thanks so much, Joe, for coming on and sharing some insights. All right, Ryan, we will talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Talk to you next week, Joe. That's Joe Duffy. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. 
It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 